magic. Magic. And science. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. Maybe science is magic. <laughs> okay, Tim, it's chemistry. <laughs> right. <laughs> I can call it magic. Hey, y'all, put on your boots, grab your headphones, and let's get a little muddy. As we build a community rooted in the love of dirt roads for the dust or mud. Welcome to the Dust or Mud Podcast. Welcome to episode 10 of the Dust or Mud Podcast. Heck yeah. Glad you guys are with us again. Today we're going to dive into raw milk. The, the horrors. Mag- the magic. <laughs> yeah, the magic. Of raw, of raw A2, A2, A2. A2 Jersey milk. Yeah. We've come to love it and we want to dive into it just a little bit today to... Um, inform and potentially educate on the benefits, what we consider benefits of raw milk. We didn't know about it growing up. We didn't know about it until about 20 minutes ago, a year ago, ago, um, and have come to learn about it and think that it is pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So before we dive into that, though, let's talk about a little bit about the farm update from last week. We have had a lot going on. Yeah, we have. Mm-hmm. So I think on my notes, at least, the, the biggest thing for me for the farm update this week is picking up pork. Yeah. yeah we, love, we love it when we are able to fill the freezers with amazing products for sale. So um, that, was, that was really cool to go get to pick up, I don't know, a few hundred pounds of pork. Yeah. Put in the freezer. Um, so we... Dropped off pigs, picked up pigs, uh, dropped off five lambs as well when we picked up the pork. Yeah, we did. So we'll be picking the lamb up when we drop off the next pigs. Um, and Betty's getting better. She is. She's on the she's on the upswing. The the testing that they sent off for bovine leukemia came back negative in both of the cows, so that's wonderful news. Um, she was sick just with some pneumonia. Basically, had a chest infection, gave her the antibiotics and some B vitamins, some Tylenol for cows, and got her feeling better. Her appetite is coming back up. We're giving her the sweet stuff. So she's really liking that and plenty of all she can eat of the new wonderful fresh hay. Sometimes they're lazy and they want to stand in front of the box and eat hay versus go out and graze. So we're making sure that she has plenty of that. And she's on the mend. She's starting to make milk again. And we're really glad. Yeah. And last time we said that we were expecting layer chicks and they did arrive. They did. So we have our our layer chicks now. I believe that's the last poultry additions to the farm until next spring. Yeah. A little quick farm story about the layer chicks. Night one of them being here, they were in two separate brooders. And one of the brooders, the waterer, It's an older water and it leaked through the night and it was sitting on a pan and the water leaked so much that kind of stood in the pan just a little bit. And some of the birds, not being the brightest birds, got into the pan, got wet, decided to sleep there. I don't know, but they got all wet. We went out there that morning and there were quite a few of them that were wet and laying there and I, they looked dead. They yeah. were soaked and they looked like they were dead. And they weren't. They weren't dead. They were just really cold and laying there dying. But we got there soon enough and in quick fashion um, because you wanted to try and I felt they were dead. But we tried and we dried them off, got them under a heat lamp because you know what they say about being dead. If you're not until you're warm. And That's right. So yeah. these guys were cold and we got the lamp out. We got the blow dryer out. Yeah. And the community blow dryer that lives in my bathroom. Right. It's, it, it's used for all manner of farm. The universal farm use blow dryer. That's right. Um, I don't know why it can't buy its own. <laughs> but anyway, um, so anyway, we got the blow dryer, we got the heat lamp, we got the towels, we started warming them up, drying them off, and we pretty much saved all of them. There, we lost two. Yeah. Out of the bunch that we thought they were all going to die. Yeah. So it was pretty miraculous to see them come back. And they're yeah. all out there, back out there with everybody and doing their... Doing great? Yeah. Yeah. So you may, you it may was hear a rain win. and thunder in the background. Yeah, we're so. having 
We're having rain. a little bit of a storm. Rain we makes love grass. the rain. That's right. We're just going to record right through right it. Right through it. Yeah. Yeah. So a little highlight from last week, we talked about independence, interdependence, uh, independence on the farm, interdependence with the community, and how we were able to tie those two things together. And then we ended the conversation with a GAO report on military barracks and the fact that they're terrible. So that was, if, if any of that interests you, check out episode nine that we talked through last week. Yeah. Maybe we'll talk through some more of it this week. Yeah, i got a few updates. Oh, oh cool. Woo-hoo. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, topic of the day. A2A2, raw, jersey, milk. That's a lot of details. It is a lot of details. dive into those details. Okay. So let's talk A2. Okay, so there are two different main types of beta casein proteins in cow's milk. The beta casein proteins make up about 30% of the cow's milk, and of that there are, the main types are A1 and A2, and from our high school biology genetics type classes, you can have A1A1, A1A2, or A2A2, and um, those those three are the main variants, excuse me, that you can have with the beta beta casein. And A2A2 is a specific type of the beta casein proteins inside the milk. Okay. It's a start. Easy enough. Right? Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> okay. Go ahead with your lesson. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So historically, uh, mammals are A2 mm-hmm. um, or A2A2. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, human milk, um, goat's milk, llama milk, like they're, they're A2, A2. Mm-hmm. Um, according to the research a few thousand years ago, a couple thousand years ago, a genetic mutation happened inside cows and introduced the A1 uh, beta casein. From what I read, specifically European cows. Yeah, that's right. And so for why that matters to us is the majority of uh, dairy farms, especially in the United States, are made up of Holstein cows. Mm-hmm. Um, Holstein Friesian is the way it used to be, but it's now Holstein cows. Yeah. And Holstein are one of the European breeds that picked up the A1 genetic mutation. Okay. And so um, for the most part, dairies... Uh, a milk that you get from large commercial dairies are some mix of A1, 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 A2 um, beta casein proteins is what happens inside their milk. And from what I understand, they don't use it because they don't use those cows because they're A1. They use them for production. That's because right. they make a lot of milk. That's right. Okay. Yep. Yep. It has really from a. Um, the majority of large dairy farms, mm-hmm. they don't they don't pay a whole lot of attention to the genetic makeup of the beta casein in their cow's milk. There are some um, some that do. Like mm-hmm. we've talked uh, with friends recently about Brahms is one that we know of. Mm-hmm. Their dairies are A two A two dairies, mm-hmm. like all of them. So okay. the the milk that they produce and the the products from the milk that come from their dairies. Or okay. A2A2 products. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So why would I want to drink A2A2 milk though? I mean, if it's hard to find, let's what well, you know, let's let's dive into the um benefits. Into the benefits of A2A2. Mm-hmm. Okay. So A2A2 um is well, let me let me start this off by saying that. There are a lot of studies out there, like quite a few of the topics that we've talked about on the podcast. There are a lot of studies out there, scientific studies, um, peer-reviewed, all of this stuff Mm -hmm. that show multiple different sides of the argument. Mm -hmm. Some people say it's a thing. Some people say it's not a thing, whether it's easier to digest or not. Some people say that it is. Some people say that it's not. Some people say that there are health benefits. 
Some say that there are not. So um, I will, a, a generic disclaimer, I guess, that for the things that we're talking about that we've found scientific studies to support, I would say that just as easily you could find scientific studies that um, contradict. This is not medical advice, and please do your own research. Okay. So <laughs> now that we've got that taken care of. So this is two people's research and opinions. Yeah. Um, I, I think the most people look at it not as, as what are the benefits of A2 are really seen from the the what are the negatives of A1. Okay. So in the A1 beta casein, as it's digested, it um, forms a beta casomorphin 7, yep. a peptide, BCM7, mm-hmm. um, it happens as the body digests, as the human body digests the A1 beta casein. Mm-hmm. BCM7 is an opioid peptide. Mm-hmm. which means it has the ability to bind to opioid receptors in the brain and other parts of the body like the intestines, like the gut. Right about now, people should be saying, huh? Yeah. Because we know what opi- opioids do. Correct. So um, the opioid effects. Mm-hmm. Studies have shown that BCM7 can act on the receptors in the gut and the brain and is believed to be responsible for some of the adverse effects attributed to A1 milk. Um, Brain function is one of those adverse effects. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anything that uh, from a brain fog to a sense of euphoria after drinking a glass of milk. Mm -hmm. Um, In the gut, I think, is probably where it has the the more from the people that we've talked about. So this is just now um, folks talking to us. Anecdotal. Anecdotal. Um, the gut has a, a more of an impact. And what happens in the gut is that BCM7, the opioid receptors in the gut, as they start pulling that uh, uh, peptide in, it slows down gut mobility. So as the dairy um, products are in the gut, the whole the whole process slows down. Okay, so let me interject here. Okay. Um, or let me add to the opioid effect on the gut. A lot of people might have ever been on an opioid after surgery when you're given oxycodone or something. Okay. And the doctor sends you home with oxycodone. They also send you home with something probably called colace. Okay. It's the little orange pills that go with the oxy because guess what? you're probably going to get constipated while you're on Oxy. Why? Because it is an opioid and it slows down your digestive tract. So in order to keep that moving, they give you colace, which is a mild laxative to keep your bowels going. Got it. So it's the same effect. They know it does that. They know what the opioid effect on the digestive tract is. That's why they give you a prescription when they give you a prescription. (laughs) Got it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so there the, you go, the, the, A1, the similarities. Yeah, there are studies that show that A1 beta casein leads to, you know, through the different steps, it leads to your uh, gut mobility slowing. Hmm. And um, for a lot of people uh, in the studies, as well as people that we've talked to, um, there are folks that believe that they are lactose intolerant when in reality, they are intolerant to that slowing of gut mobility. And so the dairy product basically just sits there in the gut and causes all kinds of different gut reactions. And not to mention, I think you gave me information and it said something about some enzymes that are no longer, we'll discuss in a second, the enzymes that are no longer in the milk once it's pasteurized. Yeah. That also doesn't break down the lactose. That's correct. So there, it's like multifold. Yeah. Uh, on the on the that, digestion. That's, yeah, that's with pasteurization. Yeah. So there's multiple A1 pasteurized milk. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. And so, especially one of the the populations that are called out specifically are those with irritable irritable bowel syndrome (IBS) mm-hmm. and. Folks with IBS oftentimes are particularly sensitive to inflammation that happens inside the bowels. Mm-hmm. And the 
the whole slowing down process can also cause the bowels to become inflamed. So people with IBS are oftentimes even more sensitive to the A1 beta casein found inside typical uh, dairy milk than, um, say, folks without it. Okay. Yeah. So we mentioned pasteurization. Do you want to uh, touch on that, son? Yes. Okay. So um, pasteurization, it started, it was typically found Typically your store by, shelf milk happens to be pasteurized. Yeah. <laughs> so Louis Pasteur, one of the science yep. facts that probably a lot of us remember. Yes, we remember that. That, that Pasteur, Pasteur invented pasteurization. Yeah. Yep. And I, that's probably about the extent of what we remember. No, we remember that if you heated stuff up, it killed things. Yeah. And that was pasteurization. You yeah. got to get hot. We probably didn't learn that it started with wine and beer. No, I didn't know that. I, no, no, I read that. I was like, huh, that's interesting. Yeah. started with wine to keep the ookies out of the wine and beer. Yeah. And so um, talked about it in some blogs, and it would be worth it if to do a little research if you're interested in it. But um, at, around the turn of the century, the dairies, the cows, the farms started migrating with the Industrial Revolution with the people to the cities, and with that migration... You said turn of the century. You didn't say which one. Uh, I'm sorry. The early 1900s? Yes, early 1900s. Okay. So what's at the turn of the 20th century. Okay. Right? okay. So early 1900s. Um, the dairy, the cows migrated to the cities too, and so cows mm -hmm. moved from open pasture land into buildings and living mm -hmm. on concrete. And at the time... The, the, there wasn't a whole lot of research done and the science wasn't actually there to figure out why, but the, as the conditions got worse and worse for the cows, the disease got more and more in the milk. Mm -hmm. And so in the early 1900s, especially in the big cities, yep. there was a lot of sickness and mm -hmm. illness and death even that was happening because of diseases that were contained inside milk. Yeah, well, so, confinement—you put all of that into, especially without the technologies that we have today, into a confined situation. Right. And disease—it's going to get gross quick. Yeah, yeah. And it did. It did. It, really it got did. really gross really fast, mm -hmm. and um, all kinds of diseases happened: um, tuberculosis, scarlet fever. Like there were—it mm -hmm. was—it was bad stuff. And so um, they they started using pasteurization as a way to kill all of those terrible bacteria that were um, uh, commonly occurring in the milk at the time. And, and it was, as soon it as was they, very serious. Yeah. As soon as they started pasteurizing the milk, the babies quit getting sick and the children quit getting sick. And it was an amazing thing yeah. that um, folks that were getting sick and dying now are not. Mm -hmm. And so huge win for science and for pasteurization. That was one way of dealing with the issue that they were faced with at the time. The other way would be, why don't you put the cows back on the pasture? Well, they didn't have the refrigeration trucks that we have exactly. today in order to get it into the city. And so getting it closer to the population was the answer. They That's did, right. It was the refrigeration was the key. That's right. It was the missing piece. Yeah, just very similar to folks whose grandparents or great-grandparents may have had a, a homestead, the the easiest way to preserve your animal was to keep it alive. Right. Grandma would go out and catch a chicken, and then we would have chicken for supper, right? right? Like, right. we didn't have to worry about it being in the freezer, right. say, or taking up space. So, the, the that in that same manner... <laughs> Just in time. Yeah. Food. <laughs> yeah, truly. Yeah, truly. Uh, in that same manner, they were able to bring the cows to the cities mm -hmm. instead of having to transport the milk to the cities. Right. So they, they did it and pasteurization happened. And by the 1920s, it was illegal to sell um, unpasteurized milk in many states. And um, from there, it has just sort of progressed and kept going, right? So there are still lots and lots of very large dairies where cows spend the majority, if not all, of their life on concrete. Under roof. Under roof. And so with 
with that, the conditions still exist for the same type of bacteria that we were dealing with in the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. So the I would say vast majority, I forget the percentage, it's in the 90s, 95% of all milk produced, I'm talking United States now, mm-hmm. is is pasteurized. Mm-hmm. Like And um, given the conditions of where the cows live, I don't, I, I don't know that that's a bad thing. Like the early 1900s, they're they're not out on grass, fresh pasture. Like uh, they're just living on concrete. So, um, there there you so, have. It. Okay. Yeah. So that was the introduction of pasteurization. Gets us to where we are today. The government agencies, um, the applicable agencies, the Food and uh, Drug Administration, the Center for Disease Control, like all of those folks. Um, they all have their own ideas about pasteurization and basically consider it a requirement. Okay, so we talked about the good when they brought pasteurization in, yeah, and the good, the benefits of it, and it is quite obvious. All right, what, let's discuss a little bit of the negative effects of pasteurization because it isn't necessarily all. Yep. Good. So, yes, it does kill disease. Right. And, and it, it kills, it kills bacteria, everything. Yeah. And so there are, it kills the harmful bacteria. It also kills the beneficial bacteria. Now is where we're going to break from the government agencies. They say there is no zero. There is zero beneficial bacteria in unpasteurized or raw milk. Zero. Zero. None. There are zero probiotics. There are zero beneficial bacteria. And okay, either they're okay. Right. So just letting you know, and I we've had the disclaimer yes. from the beginning yeah. that there Check. are there are different scientific studies. And, so and, if yeah. you go to the government sites, mm-hmm. the information will be presented that there are zero probiotics, zero beneficial bacteria. So in, in fact, there's risk. In, there's a warning. Grave risk. Grave risk. There right. is a warning. Yes. Do not drink raw milk. Right. Okay. Yes. So Okay. Yeah. We've got that out. Oh, yeah, we did. Now, okay. pasteurization also destroys all of the bacteria. Everything. Whether it be beneficial or harmful. And the harmful bacteria isn't existing if the cows are in clean conditions. Mm-hmm. If the equipment is sanitary, the cows are sanitary, the cows right. are kept in clean conditions like fresh pasture. Mm-hmm. Those harmful bacteria don't exist. The listeria, and like uh, the right. list of all of the, the bacteria that can be harmful. Mm-hmm. Some folks, some scientists believe that there are beneficial bacteria that exist inside. Well, in the last few years, no. we've learned science. A lot. Have learned that we've learned a lot about bacteria's good bacteria's within our within our body. This new concept of your microbiome yeah. that wasn't around even ten years ago. We didn't discuss that. We just didn't know why we had gut issues. Yeah, or any issues. Maybe it, this, but it's a, and it's a whole. Um, it's a whole wild west frontier, the microbiome. Yeah. So, in all fairness, we didn't know. That's but true. But now we're learning. We are learning. And we go forward. That's right. Even if it means going back. Yeah. In this case, yeah. But I think the the probably not surprising to the, the folks that listen and watch the government as being a bit slow to catch up with shut your the, face with the, new, with the new science that might be out, that there, might be out there that might go against their talking points of yeah. the dangers of raw milk that's true so mm-hmm. um, pasteurization you lose beneficial nutrients and enzymes yep. um, they talk about vitamin c vitamin b uh, it destroys phosphatase yep. which uh, is important for absorbing calcium and then the one that you mentioned earlier is lactase which helps digest lactose. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this one, the government documents say there is no lactase. <laughs> okay. These are not the Georgia. Okay. But if I might add, um, a, a new, another new catchphrase that we hear often is bioavailability. Yeah. And calcium being bioavailable, what does that mean? Because we can take calcium pills all day. We can fortify our milk with calcium. Mm-hmm. 
we can add it to all manner of things. Yeah. But our body won't do anything with it if it doesn't have the little key puzzle pieces. Right. If it doesn't have, what'd you just say? Lactase. Or no, on that one? Phosphatase. Phosphatase. Yes. Yeah. Ca- for calcium absorption. Oh, right. Yeah. So us, us, let's just say the 50-year-old females out there who are facing osteopenias and osteo everything due to a lack of calcium intake, our bones are getting weaker. Right. And we thought we were getting it by drinking milk, but the enzymes weren't there. And I don't know that the calcium was bioavailable. Not Our body can't do anything with it. So it just sort of exits. Yep. So we're low in calcium. Yeah. So if we drink this, it has the proper enzymes in it in order for the calcium to be taken up. Y'all, this thing grows a whole cow. And by this, you mean raw milk. Raw milk. Raw milk. Milk that it has not been altered. Correct. Unpasteurized. Unpasteurized milk. And so if it grows a cow, which has a lot of bones, it requires a lot of calcium, yeah. then when we drink it, if we need the calcium, having the beneficial enzymes mm-hmm. to include phosphatase, which may not, may not exist according to the government, would be beneficial. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Right. This has a, it also says here um, in the show notes that it alters the taste. Uh, taste is a difficult one, right? Because it's often left to the person to decide whether mm-hmm. um, that's true or not. Uh, but that is one of the things that is discussed is that uh, some folks at least believe that it alters the taste and claim that raw or unpasteurized milk tastes better. You kind of agree. Yeah. So does our 11-year-old. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But there are there are other potential explanations to that. We're, we're drinking Jersey milk, which is about 4.9-ish percent on the butter fat, where mm-hmm. your normal Holstein milk is... 3.5-ish, and then it's removed Mm. down from there. So we're drinking full-fat Jersey milk, which also is sweeter and creamier and all of the things. Right. But raw also. So Jerseys, why do we have Jerseys? Well, they're kind of a smaller cow. They're about a 900 to a 1,000-pound cow. Yeah. Um, Holsteins are huge. Bigger, they're more in the fifteen hundred. Right, they're large, and so for a small farm slash homestead Mm -hmm. volume, we don't need ten gallons of milk a day. I don't think. (laughs) Right. You know, um, we so a lot of homesteads or smaller farms will have Jersey types, smaller framed cows. So and and they're cute as they can be. Right. Um, As far as the A two A two goes. Uh, this is another one that is an interesting research project. If you care to do it on the on the internet, you can find answers anywhere from thirty five percent of Jersey cows are A two A two, all the way up to eighty percent of Jersey cows are A two A two. So okay. somewhere around half. Okay, can we could we just why can't we just make all the cows A two A two and don't do A one anymore? Interestingly, what I was about to get to is Holsteins. Actually, in 1964, 26% of them were A2A2. Oh, so it's not just a genetic thing just for Holsteins, and that's all they can be. Today, 50% Mm. are A2A2, maybe even a little more than 50%. So it's something that we could breed even into the Holsteins. Mm. If you have an A2A2 cow and an A2A2 bull, they will have A2A2 offspring. So the way we could breed out all of the A1 beta casein within a few generations. Then, okay, that seems like something if, if, the, if the dairy industry wants to continue to sell milk and all of dairy products with so many issues that people claim to have today, if they wanted to sell it, mitigate the issue through genetics, they could do that? Yes. Why wouldn't they? I mean, is there a some? Is it more expensive? Is it harder to keep? Is it some no difference? No, I think it's probably just a matter of you know you're you're dealing with a lot of different issues on your breeding uh, program, and adding one more thing is probably um, just one more thing, right? The the test itself. Mm-hmm. 
depending on how much testing you have done, it costs anywhere from about five bucks to about thirty bucks. And with that, you you pull some tail hairs yeah. and um, send it off to be tested. You have a genetic test done on it, and they, then it comes back with the beta casein profiles to include A1 and A2. If you had enough cows and big enough dairy, couldn't you just buy your own machine? Do your own testing. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm just thinking out yeah, loud. I, I, I don't know about doing genetic testing yeah. and what's so, required there. Yeah, I understand. I'm just thinking. I'm rhetorical. Yeah, don't know. So, but to answer your question, yes. yes. Okay. The mm -hmm. dairy industry could, within a few generations of cows, have all A1 beta casein protein profiles bred out of the. So then it seems stock. to me that if I was in the dairy business and I was listening to all of the medical reports about all the population who considers themselves to be lactose intolerant or maybe it's an A1 problem, I would consider changing mine. Yep. That's I, what I would do. I hear you, but there I is, consider. yeah, there's, there's, as we talked about, there's conflicting scientific research. I know they probably think it's junk science, but, but there is, <laughs> there is, uh, definitely, um, barbs of junk science being thrown around from large dairy conglomerates mm. about the benefits of A2. Absolutely. But then also, as we just mentioned, you have fairly large dairy conglomerate like Brahms yeah. that have decided, no, we're going to do A2A2 and that's it. Mm. And then the products that they offer is A2A2. And did I read somewhere? Australia? New Zealand. I'm so, okay. New Zealand changed? I, I believe, yeah, again, more genetics. research required, but yeah. I believe at some point over the past few years, maybe a decade or so ago, they're working on they they made the decision to breed out the A1 beta casein uh, mm. uh, amongst the dairy farmers there in New Zealand. I oh. don't I don't think there was even any government involvement. I think I it was something that, that as a dairy association, they decided oh. we're going to get rid of it right. and did. And it took, you know, three or four so generations of breeding and now they're all a2a2 interesting yeah hmm. this is okay. one this is one that could be fixed really easy and there's from all of the research that i've done there are there are questions and there are conflicting reports about the benefits of a2a2 i have seen no research done that says a1 is more beneficial so there's, as far as I can tell, there is no compelling reason to leave the A1 genetics the inside the the flock or the the herds. Okay. Hmm. So. Okay. So we've discussed the A2, the A1, the beta caseins, the differences, yeah. the impact on our bodies. Um, how about raw? Hmm. Raw, raw, raw. Okay. What raw, about what about raw the, milk? Well, I mean, we got rules, can potentially contain harmful bacteria like E. coli, Salmonella, and Listeria. Um, they will shut you down. Uh, yeah. So there are, and th this is one that they you can go to places like the CDC, and you can see. Right now, the, the data that they have up is 2013 to 2018, and you can see the number of cases of um, illness that can be traced back to directly back directly to unbelievable. This is awesome. This is great. We received our national, national emergency alert. alert. I bet y'all did too. Exactly right now. Everybody. Emergency <laughs> alert system. Thanks. So right there. Thanks, government. Appreciate that. Okay. Yeah. So um, but anyway, traced back to the consumption of raw milk. And of those, you know, I, I didn't figure up all of the numbers. They don't have it easily broken down, but some number, it looked like maybe 25-30% of the illnesses reported led to hospitalizations. Uh, none of the illnesses reported led to death. Uh, 
and there are no similar that I can find. There are no similar tracking mechanisms, charts, maps, any of those things that capture the illnesses from drinking pasteurized milk. No. <laughs> right. Not that they don't occur. Right. Just that we're not going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Well, no. I believe a, a, a really good, and I'll put, I'll add a link to the description or the show notes, a really good resource if you're wanting to, d- to learn about raw milk is the Weston A. Price Foundation. Yeah. Um, They're pretty and, much the... Yeah. They they are they have been resource. they've been really pushing the the whole uh, concept of raw milk and funding a lot of scientific studies and uh, a lot of public relations campaigns and so it, it's a it's a great place to go and find information about raw milk and there's they have information out there that disputes the CDC type um, uh, uh, data yeah. points with the illnesses and sicknesses related to raw milk versus illnesses and sicknesses related to pasteurization, pasteurized milk. Right. So that, the, you know, raw milk. Alive milk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> versus pasteurized milk versus beef. Dead milk. Dead milk. Yeah. And they really advocate for the live milk. That's right. Yeah, they do. And the, the different benefits. Mm-hmm. Lactobacillus. Yeah. Big benefit. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But you can't just do what you want with raw milk. No. In, so what you know one nation. of the one of the things that we, well, first, how do you why do we how do we get to raw milk? First of all, we're not a dairy. Oh yeah. <laughs> we <laughs> just we yeah. just do it for ourselves. We have some cows and we milk yeah. them and we have excess milk and right. we sell it that's to right. folks that Big. want to drink the raw milk. That's right. Um, and we can. So how, how do, why do we believe that it's safe? Mm-hmm. It's because of where our cows live mm-hmm. and the processes we use in extracting the milk and storing it yes. is what leads us to believe that it's safe. Yeah. Meticulous cleanliness. Yeah. Now, you could go out there and just drink it, go squirt, 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 and put it in a pan and drink it. Safe. The time between getting it out of the cow and getting it into the refrigerator, what it's in, how clean it is, super clean. doesn't have to be sterile, but it has to be really clean. So from the container that it's carried in, milked in, carried in, and then stored into, which are our jars, and then quickly getting it into a very cold situation so that, that we can drop that temperature. That's right. And... Yeah. So for, for us, we use stainless steel mm-hmm. for all of our transport. Yep. The um, Our milking machine uses a stainless steel uh, tub mm-hmm. that it draws the milk into. Mm-hmm. Then we use stainless steel containers to transport and strain. Yeah. Our strainer is stainless steel. And then it goes straight from um, clean and sterilized stainless into clean and sterilized glass jars. Mm-hmm. And then the glass jars go immediately into a very cold fridge. Yeah. Um, it, what used to be our beer fridge is, <laughs> is now our have it really cold. <laughs> is now our milk fridge. <laughs> yeah. And it was such because it kept the beer really, really cold. Really cold. And now it does so for the milk. Yeah. And it does a really, really good job. It does. Um anyway, so the time that it takes, we are typically from cow to fridge, less than 30 minutes. Oh, yeah. Come straight in, pour it up, get that thing, get them getting cold. Yeah. And a lot of people might think that, well, it's going to go bad within a few days because it's raw. It's got the bacteria in it, and it's not going to last very long because it hasn't been pasteurized, so it doesn't have shelf life. But if you take proper cleanliness, proper chilling, getting it cold, treating it right, if you do all of that really well, it can last over a month in the refrigerator. Yeah. And it's just as good as it was the day that you milked it. Yeah. So now may be a time to talk about a little bit about the magic. Okay. So raw milk. If you take it and we take it out of the cow and instead of putting it in the refrigerator, we put it on our countertop. And put a piece of cheesecloth over it, 
keep it dark, keep any insects out of it. It gets and just, rotten. And just let it sit on the countertop. It rots. No, it does not. No, it does not. Magic. Magic. It does not rot. That's the craziest part of the whole thing. Because I have done so many things with milk, having kids. Especially, we all know the milk bottle. <sighs> we know the milk bottle. Y'all know the milk bottle smell. Found, that thing, found yeah. under the seat of the minivan. That's right. <laughs> you're like, oh, this is going to be nasty. Just throw that thing away. Just, <laughs> don't just, don't, don't even open don't it. Don't open it. Don't open it. Don't open it. <laughs> um, but we're poor. We have to <laughs> buy that many bottles. Um, but no, it's nasty. Yeah. Pasteurized. Uh, yeah. Um, Spoil with the with the raw milk. Yeah. So it, it sits out and it turns into something else as it, it changes. It changes as it thickens. It will start to naturally separate, mm -hmm. and you have um, a whey that forms on the top, and then below that you'll start to have uh, clabber. And people have heard of clabber, something but, clabber, not but didn't really know what it was. Yeah. Right. Well, it's just the milk is starting to become solid, and in texture, it would be probably like a sour cream. Mm -hmm. In flavor, it's a lot sweeter than that. Mm -hmm. um, and so you can just let it sit on the countertop. And if you don't introduce anything into it, you don't inoculate it at all, you just let it sit. It can take three days, maybe even up to a week, we've found mm -hmm. that it takes to turn into clabber. Depends on how cold the house is. Yeah. And... Um, if you then took that clabber and strained it, so put it in a, a cheesecloth and strain it and let more of the liquid uh, leave the clabber, it turns into cork. Mm -hmm. Which is even thicker and creamier and yeah. here you can turn that into cheese. That's right. So cork... The longer it goes, yeah. it just changes. Cork is more like a, a soft cream cheese, mm -hmm. except sweeter. Mm -hmm. And then... You, it starts getting tangy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you can uh, strain it even further or even press it, and then you end up with what most people call clabber cheese. Right. And at that point, it's more like a, a brie or something, you know, a, a soft, soft cheese. Yeah. Which, by the way... The government agencies warn against soft, oh, yeah. soft, oh, yeah, soft cheese. Oh, no, not well. any soft cheeses, not yeah. Yeah, no brie. <laughs> <laughs> this is your <laughs> anyway. shoe, buddy. So, anyway, okay. that, that's why it we call it when we talk about the magic of raw A2A2 Jersey milk. Yeah. That's really what we're thinking about is uh, in the magic is. We've all grown up with Spoilage. pasteurized milk, and you leave it sit on the breakfast table for too long, and it starts to go bad, you know? And this stuff... Well, you, the reason that it does is because the only thing, the only bacteria that it has at that point is bad bacteria. That's right. And so whenever your pasteurized store-bought milk is sitting out, the only thing that it can do is grow bad bacteria, yeah. and the bad bacteria flourishes. When you have raw milk, you might have some bad bacteria, however... There's good bacteria that is stronger, just like we have in our bodies, that is stronger than the bad bacteria and outweighs it. Yeah. And so it just kills the bad bacteria. Yeah. So it lasts longer. Lots of lactobacillus, blah. Lots yeah. of lots of those things are there. And one of the byproducts as they grow is citric acid. Mm -hmm. And the citric acid kills the um, harmful bacteria. Mm -hmm. And um, that's why it starts getting tangier and tangier is the more those bacteria reproduce. Cool. The good bacteria the more they reproduce, the tangier it gets because of the increased citric acid. Magic. Magic. <laughs> and science. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. Maybe science is magic. <laughs> okay, Tim, it's chemistry. <laughs> it is, right. <laughs> <laughs> I can call it magic. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> so in the state of Missouri, there are rules that are... that. Oh, yeah. We have to follow in order to be able to sell it. We do sell our A2 A2 Jersey raw milk off of our farm. Yeah. And we are allowed to do that per Missouri law. Um, and we could sell it from our farm. They can come pick it up. They do. I put it in the Yeti right outside the office door. They come and they pick it up. Um, or we can meet them in town and do a drug deal. <laughs> No, it's <laughs> so, 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 no. Like it. so the, the, the Missouri laws allow off farm sales, uh, allow on farm sales. Sorry. So you are allowed to sell it to customers at the farm. 
You are also allowed to pre-arrange to meet a customer somewhere to deliver milk that they have previously agreed to buy. Mm -hmm. So you're not allowed to go set up a stand with jars of milk out as a, like you as a, a fruit stand. As a farm, as right. an LLC. You can't go set up your milk stand and say, <sighs> come buy our raw milk oh, on the geez. side of the road, yeah. right? You, you can't do that. No. You can't set up at a farmer's market with bottles and bottles of raw, unpasteurized magic no. milk yeah. and, and say, come buy our, our milk. You cannot do that. Y'all been here for a while. Y'all still on clamor now, aren't you? <laughs> so no, it would be good. It would be good. <laughs> but you can, you can meet someone yeah. in order to make a delivery. The rules are, are weird about the farmer's market in particular. Um, the farmer's market rules, uh, if, you, if you look at, if you just look at, hey, what are farmer mar farmer's market rules in Missouri? It says... The sale of uh, raw milk is not allowed, and that falls into the you're not allowed to bring the bottles and set them out on your on your stand and say right. here we have raw milk for sale. The other information says that farmers market you can meet someone at a farmers market and sell milk, but yeah. it, it, it's, anyway, we there's there's like crazy rules. Uh, so retail sales you are not allowed to sell raw milk in a retail store in the state of Missouri. That's correct. So you can't go to your grocery store, your health food store, mm -hmm. and find um, air to ground farms, raw, magic, A2A2, Jersey milk. There right. are states that you can yes. in the state of California, which is interesting, but in the state of California, you can, and there might, in your state, you might be able to, you just can't here. That's correct. There are places that you can, and raw milk, it's slow, but it is being, it's coming back into. Yeah. Vogue. Yeah, I guess Legality. you could say that. I yeah. don't know. It, it, the laws are changing. Yeah, the, the laws are changing. They are. It's just, it is slow. Um, We're allowed to advertise that we have yeah. raw milk for sale. Um, what else? Legal. One thing I thought was that was weird was you're allowed to sell raw goat milk retail. I didn't. I haven't looked I into know. it a lot. I saw that once. I, I didn't. I didn't really research the laws. You'll have to look into to that. make sure that that and is true. Get back with uh, me. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm. I'm not. Okay. I don't know. I'm. I'm not sure. So we have come to love the benefits and the taste, the health benefits, economic benefits. Because not only do we get milk, we get yogurt. We make butter. We do all the things with milk. We make cheese. I mean, it having those cows provides a lot into our lives and into other people's lives. We have people, back to the A2 for just a second, we have people who now buy milk and can drink milk that they haven't been able to in, say, 10 years. And they now can because, I don't know if it's because, of it, because it's raw or because it's A2 or maybe it's just a good combination of both. But they now have dairy back in their lives. I think I can count four families that I know of. And we don't need A2 milk. Like, we're not A1 sensitive. We're not A... Not, but the cows are available. We thought it was cool. We got them. And turns out it's benefited a lot of families yeah. because of it. Yeah, for sure. So that's cool. Yeah, that's Actually, cool. we really like that mm -hmm. a lot. Did you have anything else on the A2 magical? I do. One of the things that, that I... I remembered where I was going with the legalities of things is uh -huh. we're not allowed to sell anything that ha um, mm. happened because we adulterated the raw milk is that their verbiage is adulterated. So if you shake that milk too hard and <laughs> well, you're, what are you laughing at? Well, you're allowed, <laughs> you're you allowed to, you're allowed to sell cream. Yes. You I can, can sell. I can dip the dip cream off. The cream off. That's not adulterated. We no. just kind of spooned it. Because I have to be very just care careful. Carefully spoon it. Be gentle while you're doing it. That's right. But you can sell the cream yes. off the top of the milk. Yes. But okay. if I shake that cream, oh. I cannot sell it. No. Because then it turns into butter. And that's adulterated. I have now adulterated the milk by shaking it hard enough that the protein I mean, molecules it, start to stick together, the fat molecules start to stick together. The butterfat coalesces, turns into butter. 
It's now adulterated. I cannot sell it. I cannot sell it if I heat the milk and cause the proteins to stick together or when I add an acid to it and that turns into cheese. No. Cannot. No. I have adulterated it. Mm -hmm. If I take that cream and add eggs to it with some sugar and some vanilla and I turn that into ice cream, I'm now dealing with the Department of Health and Senior Services. Ice cream is very regulated in very, this country. Very regulated. I am not allowed the to The ice that. cream police will come after you. Okay. But we are very happy. That and you can go we are and able take to. your cream and shake it. <laughs> <laughs> Make your butter. And then you can do whatever you want with it. That's right. Right? Yes. And make yogurt. Yeah. Can't sell that either. No. I've adulterated it. Heated it. You heated it. You well, added I, a little I, starter. I inoculated it first, oh, and then I bad. heated it. Yeah. Oof. Oof. That's about a bit of bad. Bad <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so there are rules. We can sell the milk. We can sell the cream from the milk, but we can't sell anything past that. Any products that occurred because of adulteration. That's right. That's what they say. Yep. Magic. That's right. Raw A2A2 Jersey milk. Yeah. If you um, There's websites, some resources. If you're looking for raw A2A2 milk in your area, mm-hmm. the realmilk.com or .org. I don't remember. I can add it's it. It's one or the other. He'll add it to the show notes. We'll look, we'll look it up. But they, it's a website and farms kind of like ours uh, are on the website like Eat Wild that I talked about last week, realmilk.com or .org, they, you can go on there and list what you have to offer in, the, in terms of raw milk. And so people can come and find, or you can go and find a farm near you. That's true. With a database. Yeah. I mean, the website has a database. The farm does have a database. Well, they might. Yeah. Okay. So that cut, that good. Go get y'all some raw milk. Right. <laughs> you can find it. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> then good luck. <laughs> well, now one of the things that we didn't mention, um, uh, cow shares are also legal in Missouri and in a lot of states where um, the sale of raw milk is not legal, mm-hmm. cow shares are legal. And what that means is a farmer can split his cow, theoretically. The in, ownership of the cow? It, yeah, into four parts. And... If that cow makes two gallons of milk, then each of the owners own a half gallon of that milk. So it is a it's a way of getting circumventing the legalities of selling raw milk in that you're not selling the milk, you actually own a portion of the cow. Thus thus you own a portion of the um, what that cow produces. So it's a way okay. of getting around it. And another way that some states do it is you are allowed in some states to sell raw milk as pet food. I was going to say that. like Once you buy pet food, what you do with it once you get it into your house is your business. Right. So I look forward to the comments. You guys look it up in your local area, your state, your whatever, and let us know what the rules are in your area because it yeah. is very, very different in each state. Or district or <laughs> country. <laughs> what? That's not right. those kind of districts. That's not what I meant. Okay. <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you went to a movie. No. Uh-huh. <laughs> I didn't mean to. Mm-hmm. I did. Okay. Oh, you're making me laugh. I know. Don't make me laugh. Okay. Trying to be so serious. I know. It's serious business. Okay. That's the CDC. I'd say. Is it CDC? And the FDA. And the FDA. Oh. Serious business. And the US duh. Duh. <laughs> okay. Serious business. It is. It's, right. it's very serious. So what other serious business do you have? Well, today? I had a a couple of updates based on the um the discussions the past couple of mm-hmm. podcasts, okay. especially the ones that have garnered a lot of comments and mm-hmm. reactions yeah. to your shorts, um, not necessarily to the podcast because right. they heard the whole conversation, but the 10, 11 second yeah. shorts where there's a piece of the conversation whoo, that can cause some 
Comments? Yeah. Okay, so after missing recruiting goals, Army announces new occupational specialty to increase the ranks. Was so it going to make a new job? They are. Called recruiter. They already have that. But it's a special duty. Okay. Oh. So, uh-huh. You're tracking oh. now. They're, <laughs> they're making a new MOS in the Army, a military occupational mm. specialty, a new one. Um, the career track is expected to be rolled out as a pilot program in the coming months. It, um, Tuesday is when they made the announcement that they are overhauling recruiting and creating a new career track for recruiters. They must listen to our podcast. Uh, absolutely. I think they must, y'all. They, they are on this already. They we have. just talked about this two weeks ago, and they are already already doing it. I can't believe we've gotten to move with this fast. Hey. <laughs> Uh, People listen. They know you, don't they? <laughs> it's got to be you. <laughs> they knew me enough that they let me leave. <laughs> so uh, we mentioned before that they they had wow. missed their recruiting goal by 10,000 this year. Last year, actually, it was 15,000. Um, the Secretary of the Army made a comment about how what a great job we did this year um, because we didn't miss it by as much. You failed. They failed less. Yeah. Than they failed last year. Failing less is better. Oh. Right. So now we're just gonna make a job. Yep. So in the past, a person is a. I don't know. What do people in the army do? <laughs> Tank driver. So <laughs> I had to think for a second. I mean, I'm so blue. Okay. Anyway, so your army tank driver person, they get. They take a take a break from driving tanks for a period of time. They go into a location, probably a city, not near a base, and they have a special duty for three years yeah. or whatever amount of time the, the Army thinks is three, good for that. It's a three-year. Three-year assignment. And so they go into Atlanta, mm-hmm. They and they live outside of Atlanta, and their job is to recruit for three years to recruit kids in high school in the Atlanta area to join the army. Yep. Okay. But that's not their primary job. Did they go to school? They have to like go to a, some sort of right. training. Yeah, they go to training. And then, and then the, the, the comments in the article is that basically by the time you fill, figure out maps, the mm-hmm. military entrance, entrance and processing, processing system or whatever, by yeah. the time you figure, by the time the recruiters have figured out maps, it's time to move on. Yeah, no kidding. And so, one way that they're trying to do it, and they okay. they liken it to um, normal corporate recruiting where you have recruiters, and that's what they do. Oh. And so they're saying, as uh, at least as the ar- for the Army, they believe that having full-time recruiters might benefit them in solving the recruiting crisis. Oh. Yeah. So the, well, maybe. I, I found the... Maybe if they at least know what they're doing. What the Secretary of the Army said it, was that it is a very big achievement compared to last year, that they're only 10,000 short this okay. year. Yeah. All right. Um, the Army recently has pitched historical high enlistment bonuses. Um, they're, they have a new program called Future Soldier Preparatory Course, which allows applicants who other, otherwise would not qualify, falling short on academic or body fat standards, extra time to get into compliance before basic training. Wait, 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 wait. That is part of how they're fixing their recruiting. So, before we can come to basic training, which is basic, we got a pre-basic? Yes. So we can, what, lose weight and learn how to do a little... Something they were supposed to learn in high school. Right. So now the government has to do that too? Yes. Okay. Well, we talked about... I know. Two weeks ago. Yeah. You know, the the, the pool of 18 to 24-year-olds yeah. that are eligible is, yeah, is a small pool. I know. And this is a way of expanding that pool. So you take a portion of those that are ineligible and you make them go to this camp and coming out of that, they're now eligible. Okay, so we're going to spend a whole bunch of money to train or to maybe get these cats ready to go 
into the army, or we could take a little bit more money and pay the individuals that are already eligible. And, and more. why I said that they have historic high enlistment bonuses. They're doing they both. Oh, they, they are doing both. Well, yeah. they need to. Yeah, they're okay. doing both. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and Prep well, school for basic training. Yeah. And yeah. they're saying that by 2028, mm -hmm. they want a third of new recruits to have education beyond high school even. So okay. right now it's about 20% is what they're looking for today. They want it somewhere around 33% in the next five years. Mm -hmm. um, one of the, one of the, the and it's a military.com article, one of the, the points that the article makes that is a potential uh, detriment to recruiting is that an army army specialist, especially when it comes to the um, the desire to have college graduates even enlisting. Um, yes, <laughs> so an army specialist, mm -hmm. the highest junior rank, uh, and the rank a college graduate would usually enter if they were enlisting. Right, they would enter as specialist. They make about $30,000 per year. The average starting salary for college graduates with a bachelor degree is $65,000 per year outside of the military. So mm -hmm. it is a potential detriment to recruiting. I see. Those with college degrees. Yeah. Less than half. Yeah. Hmm. The salary. But they get to live in really cool bit. Uh, no. No. Oh, so, man. all right. The Anything, update. Any new updates? Yeah, on the that? update on that was again right after the podcast where we talked I'm about. I'm telling military you, y'all. They listen to this. They they are listening to you. U.S. Representative. No, they're listening to me. That's right. <laughs> Definitely you. Go ahead. U.S. Representative Don Bacon, Republican from Nebraska, he uh, chaired chairman of the Quality of Life panel, um, and they had a hearing on unaccompanied military housing Good. on September 27th uh, was the date, actually. We owe it to these individuals to ensure they have access to safe, comfortable, and affordable housing. Unfortunately, the reality of military housing is often far from that. Last week, the Government Accountability Office published a report detailing deplorable and, frankly, um, inexcusable conditions of unaccompanied housing for junior service members. Sewage overflow, water quality issues, rodent infestations, mold, broken air conditioner units in sweltering heat, and others that all have been found in facilities. Um, you got a college degree. You want to come work for $30,000 and live in backed up sewage with no air conditioner? We cannot allow the situation to oh. persist. He oh, says. I'm so glad that somebody's on this. Yes, he is. Mm. Yeah, he says a few years ago we saw a similar condition in privatized family housing, and it required extensive congressional action to make improvements. And he now says the department and individual services have continued to neglect the oversight and management of these projects. Um, they, they have to be... They failed to provide the housing that service members need and deserve. The matter must be addressed. We must demand greater accountability from the Department of well, Defense. Well, hopefully they'll continue and do something to fix at least a little bit of it. Yeah. They got problems. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for the updates. Yeah. Want to stir the pot more or you want to save it for next week? Um, stir it. Go. You ready? Go ahead. Okay. It may make us go for a little longer here. Oh, well, then let's save it for next week. Can you tee it up? I can. September 20th, Washington, D.C., U.S. Representative Jim Banks, Republican from Indiana, chairman of the Military Personnel Subcommittee, delivered the following opening remarks at a hearing on meritocracy in the military services accession, accession promotion, and command selection. Oh. Uh, okay. He's talking about meritocracy. Within the military. Mm. Mm. Okay, let's talk about that next week. I love it. Okay, so it starts by saying, these questions go to our nation's founding principles, meritocracy, 
talent, and equality of opportunity. Okay. Mm. Mm. That'll be good. Promoted because you did good. That's meritocracy. Ah. I'm a big fan. Hey. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about that next week. We'll okay. just stick it in there and start. All right. So that'll be our like sort of additional topic. Okay. But we're switching it up a bit next week also ah. from the podcast perspective. So when we started this whole idea idea ordeal, mm-hmm. um, we had 10 episodes in mind that we wanted um, to, to kick use off. to kick off mm-hmm. and really introduce ourselves, introduce the farm, introduce our relationship, um, both as a couple and as farmers and working together. Mm-hmm. And so we've we've spent the past 10 episodes really looking at how we farm and what we farm and the different animals and the different products that we produce and the relationship and our relationship with the community and our love of dirt roads. And so it's really been focused right here on us and on the farm, on our relationships and on the way we farm. And we're going to, we're going to start switching that up a little bit. Yeah. Episode 11 will start and we were kind of on the fence, whether we do seasons or continue in the, just numbered episodes, and we've decided that we're just going to continue on in the numbered episodes into just keep on going, 11 right. through whatever. Right. So you won't see seasonal breakups. Some podcasts will do that. We are not going to be doing that. Um, so we will begin pulling in some of the folks, friends, that we have met here in the Ozarks that have come here for whatever reason. And about that diving into them, into their lives, into their why. Yeah. Take the focus a little bit off of us. We've, yeah. And 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 the reason we reason we went with that is because of the time that we spend standing and talking to folks at, really starting at the farmers market. Yeah. And listening to the stories of of many many different people that very similar to us, but have very different stories of how they got here and why. And what they're doing here. And, and what they're doing here, yeah. absolutely. And so what we want to do is to share that with with all of you, yeah. the, not just our story, but the folks that we're meeting, um, hopefully even some folks that have always been here. And, oh, yeah. and just get some yeah. different perspectives about life in the Ozark and what it's like to transition here or what it's like to have been from here. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, that's going to be our plan going forward over the next few episodes, at least. Yeah. Next week, we have a, a friend and um, fellow Ozark Countier, uh, Tim Arbiter, is going to join us on the podcast. And I am really looking forward to this one. Yeah, Tim um, brings a very special set of knowledge and understanding of things that I think are going to be really interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, con- continues to work as a chemist mm-hmm. um, remotely. Yeah. And uh, also has property inside Ozark County. Yeah. And is building an ark. Yeah, he is. Yeah, it's really cool. So that'll be fun to catch up with him next week and pick his brain just a little bit. Yeah. Looking right. forward to seeing you, Tim. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Okay, well, that covers it for this week. We're so glad that you guys hung out with us and um, make sure if you have if you like it, follow, subscribe, hit the like button. And until next week, bye y'all. Bye y'all.